Hello and thank you for downloading the Car Fiction for the Love of Cars podcast. We're very grateful that you've been able to join us on this audio podcast and we are still developing it and trying to build it into the best it possibly can be. Please let us know that you've been listening. Get in touch with us on Twitter at CarFiction and use the hashtag FTLOC for Footlock. Let us know that you've been downloading. Anyway, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Footlock for the Love of Cars. I'm Drew Stone and I'm joined by my Footlock friend, Mr. Henry Catchpole. Footlock friend, I Footlock like that. Yeah, that's good. A bit of alliteration on a, uh, <laughs> what is it, Wednesday, the day that we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. Um, as, as per usual, it's been an incredibly busy couple of weeks and we'll be going through some of the stuff that we've been doing out on location, some of the films that have already made it up onto the channel, stuff that's coming up soon, and we'll be touching on the motorsport news a little bit later on. But I think we're going to jump straight into some of the stuff that's been happening in the wonderful world of cars that we want to talk about in the news. Um, I think we've got it further down the list, but I just kind of want to jump into it straight away. We have seen an incredible piece of video published by Porsche of the 919, um, what are they calling it? The 919? 919 Evo. Yeah, the the tribute. tribute, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's sort of, (laughs) so we said we're going to do most sport a bit later, but it's 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 actually bridges bridges the the two, doesn't it? Because um, the first thing to say, a few people have got annoyed about this. We are, of course, referring to the lap that it did around the Nordschleife and set this amazing... Um, time ran there of uh, I believe it was uh, 18 seconds <laughs> <laughs> 5 minutes 19 seconds that's what it felt uh, like <laughs> it's um, preposterous is what it is yeah. and it, that's not bridge to gantry that is the full that's full lap full lap yeah um, and for context like anything under you know under 8 minutes is considered pretty damn fast yeah to try and get a car under 8 minutes is still yeah really really shifting and the record had stood for decades yes it um, had well it was originally obviously and this is this is why i say it sort of bridges between motorsport and, and not because um actually that lap that lap record still stands because to do a lap record it has to be in competition with other cars around and so stefan beloff's time of six minutes 11 seconds was in qualifying and then i think it's a six minute 25 seconds somebody will correct me if i'm wrong um actually in the race so those as outright lap records still stand it's just that this is the best ever time around the nurburgring so yes. that's a and and i kind of like that because obviously that is you know the the bell off lap is just legendary and it's it's kind in of competition nice wheel to wheel and as it's well. nice to think of that still existing to some extent there is i mean there's there's qualifications for a, a lap record in 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 that case and the thing is is that there is still motorsport happening on the nurburgring but nothing mm-hmm. at that level obviously formula one hasn't been there since the 70s um and if you put a modern formula one car on that track it would definitely challenge if not beat that time yeah but we don't so no. so although it hasn't beaten the lap record under the same circumstances or under the same umbrella, it has set the lap record in what we today in 2018 consider Nürburgring lap records because we have the rear wheel drive, front wheel drive, production car, sure. electric car, all these different parameters. And at the top of all of these is now this lap. It's oh, yeah. The, yeah it's Don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And, I, and Porsche, fair play to them for doing it because, I mean, there have been demonstration laps in the past of sort of F1 cars going around there. But to, to actually go out and proper set timed a lap, proper yeah. timed laps, you know, and they did, I think the shakedown one that they did was 5.35 or something like that. Then they set a 5.24, 5.25, something like that, and then went back out again to do the 5.19. I mean, mm. in, so three laps. That's Timo Bernhard. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, you've almost certainly watched the video. Um, if you haven't, why not? You definitely should. And you watch it, and everyone says the same thing. When that looks like it's on fast forward. Mm. It it because we've all. It's a very familiar view that that idea of going around the Nurburgring. We've all seen a million different lap record videos over the years. So you're used to seeing it at a speed, and then you look at it on that as. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. And even without having driven the Nurburgring, you can appreciate how difficult it is. And just the 
disregard for the complexity of the track that i mean obviously there's a huge amount of knowledge and respect and experience being being used by timo doing it but it just seems so effortless yeah just absolutely perfect and you you see him going into like foxhole at the speed that he's going into it you're going like yeah. how is he going to stop in time for that and then just goes through it it's crazy i mean i was talking to a friend of mine uh Gethin jones who was a very good rally driver um last night about it and he um said you it, it all looks so calm from yeah. it's only actually when you look at the um, the shot of his crash helmet and see how much it's moving around. You realize just how you know how hard he's he's pushing. We were and the forces involved. Charlie and I were rewatching it together, and we were Charlie remarked on that uh, on the on the last straight from the um, out from the gantry onwards mm. up towards the last sequence of turns. Uh, which is, if you're doing bridge to gantry, it's actually the first sequence of turns. Mm-hmm. And he's going, he's bouncing around in that thing like yeah. crazy. And and you kind of notice the areas where he's taking a bit easy because he takes a different line through carousel. Yeah. Very high. Time. Yeah. Almost just kind of, kind of sort of ditch hooks and inside wheel slightly, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he still take, um, and, and that's, I think is the slowest he goes around. The, I think he drops down to like 65 miles an hour <laughs> and then immediately slams back yeah, up. Yeah, so I've, I've got some of the speeds here, um, which, uh, in fact, Richard Meaden, I think they've, they've been published in various places, but I've converted, they've all been in kilometers an hour, so I've done miles an hour as well. Um, so average speed of 233.9 kilometers an hour, 145 miles an hour, an average, average speed of 145 miles an hour around there um schwedenkreutz which is the the really scary uh, fast left before you um, start heading downhill for the foxhole uh, he's hitting 214 miles an hour heading into that he goes over the crest just before it which is terrifying if anyone's ever driven over that he does that at 200 a nice round 200 miles an hour over that crest uh the foxhole again as you said he seems to be accelerating for so long up mm. the other side i mean yeah. it's sort of it always feels like i have been flat through the foxhole and i think an Astra, um, you know, yeah. VXR or something like that. Where which flat means something else. <laughs> and, and I remember sort of, you know, you get you, this is moment of relation as you go flat through the bottom and then think, I, really, I must break now because you've sort of kind of, you need to break it straight away. And he seems to be accelerating from ages up the other side, but he yeah. goes through the bottom of there at 329 kilometers an hour or 204 miles an hour, which is just crazy. And then it maxes out at 369, 369 kilometers an hour, which is 229 miles an hour. Uh, on the dotting of her straight, yeah. so it's I mean just ridiculous numbers. And it's how quickly he gets up to that speed yeah. as well, it just... which is what Ollie Jarvis. So we had this interview with um, Ollie Jarvis before uh, Le Mans, yeah. uh, which you can find on another episode of oh, the previous Footlock. episode of Footlock. Um, and he was talking about just how that was where the Porsche's strength was the fact that it just gets out of the corners so quickly. Yeah. It does just it, it's crazy, isn't it? Obviously, the nine one nine. Uh, the original 919 uh, was the Lamar car that won uh, two, two years, years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, and was Porsche came out. It didn't have a successful first year, but then was very successful with it afterwards. Yeah, won twice. Didn't it, yeah. So. and then uh, pulled out. And so they didn't compete at Lamar at all this year, uh, which... I assume it's to do with... I mean, it must be to do with Dieselgate, basically. Must be. It's not VW's strongest car to play at the moment, no. so that probably makes sense. Um, and actually leading on from this, because uh, the, I mean, it proves a lot of points It and, and some of the debate had been, uh, someone on Twitter pointed out that if you were there on a, you know, your first time trying to push it a little bit, first time lap of the Nürburgring, you could actually get lapped on your first lap <laughs> by this car. It's so quick. Quite easily. Yeah, quite easily. Um, but it's... Some people said, oh, you know, it really makes the point for hybrid cars. And this is, that's true, but a Formula One car would probably give it a run for its money on that time fairly easily. I mean, it, no one's ever going to be silly enough to put a 2018 Formula <laughs> One car around there, or at least not for a few years. So we'll, we might not ever know. But Porsche clearly believe in um, hybrid technology, electric technology, and that's probably been uh, expressed most clearly recently in their 10% acquisition of Rimac who uh, probably most famously recently uh, were in the news for being the car that Richard Hammond crashed while filming an episode of the Grand Tour. Um, But the manufacturer of batteries, uh, electric powertrains out of Croatia that are making these low uh, volume electric hypercars, I guess. Yeah, we had the Concept 1 and now we've got the Concept 2, which they unveiled at Geneva this year. Real cars, not even vaporware, like the proper company oh, yeah. building stuff, which is very impressive for such a small company. And then Porsche coming along and buying a 10% stake. Now, they've had their, the Porsche, the Mission E concept has been given a 
proper name. Take Tycon, Taycan. I'll take your word for it. Taycan, Tycon is what it's going to be called. T A Y C A N. Um, I, I still am not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but that and nobody knew how to pronounce McCann or McCann or whatever Maca- when that was saying. Macken, <laughs> the uh, Porsche Macken. Um, uh, the, they're clearly investing in in that kind of technology, and this ten percent stake in in Remac kind of suggests is you no, know, it's not an acquisition by any shape or form, but it clearly means that Porsche are pursuing the electric drivetrain. Um, notion everyone has to be and so but this is a very clear indication of where they're going and going out right now and with a hybrid car setting this lap record as well it feels like it's part of that you know making a point yes the diesel side of it is is far less appealing on all fronts but it's the hybrid sides kind of proving that it's not actually something to be concerned about it's something to be embraced and enjoyed and it could be a bright future beyond the world of the internal combustion engine yeah absolutely just coming back we obviously had we had the pikes peak uh record which we talked exactly, about in yes, the, the audio yeah. podcast um but it sort of seems that i really it then gets really intriguing because you sort of think wouldn't it be great to see those two cars the the id r and the 919 evo you know you sort of wish they'd gone to pikes peak with both of those cars <sighs> I how mean, cool would that have been well the thing is with the pikes peak cars that was built specifically for the pikes peak run yeah. like it has been absolutely dialed in to do that run and nothing else yeah. whereas this car has been on the the 919 evo has been on a tour like around proving mm. its worth all over and the the format clearly works at le mans and they've the the difference between this car and the car that raced at le mans is that they've basically gone what rules held us back and then thrown them out the window and then made it the fastest that that car could be but yeah it's it almost almost you want kind of like almost like a formula libra um like wacky racer style like yes. let's just see yeah. how fast <laughs> we can go and you'll get cars of all shapes and sizes you get like drag races against like series seven like trucks for the um all their different strengths yeah. and weaknesses and sort of yeah, yeah that would be really cool wouldn't it but yeah like like you get in like the movie cars or something where yeah. all these crazy different things running up against each other and you'd have to negotiate your way through different kinds of terrain that'd be great give us, uh, give us your suggestions for other things that should appear in in this this new wacky races that yeah would be, that'd d- be good that would be that'd be pretty awesome um right so the other stuff that we want to talk about um you uh, had a look at something you showed me a picture of something and i wanted to talk about it on here actually <laughs> because it actually it, it took my breath away a little bit because it was n- not necessarily for what it was it was stunning but do you want to fill uh, the listeners in uh yeah it was um i popped across uh, to see in fact my, my mark II escort was kept and it's they prepare land rovers across there and this was sort of one they've done in fact for the owner it was his wedding and it's so it's his wedding car and he's put a lot of time and effort into it but it's it's what they do and it's a land rover defender mm. um with the fabric roof over the back of it and it's it is absolutely beautiful it's got a it's done in a porsche gray porsche gt color gray uh in fact with aston martin silver birch doing the other bits and it's just all the little details in it the leather work is is absolutely beautiful and there's a there's an element well you said it um there's an element of sort of the singer to it yeah it it the the photos that you showed me um it it looked like the the quality of the leather i'm obviously just seeing it in pictures but the the leather working on the rear bench seats and the the carpeting on the on the inside and the way the steering wheels finished and it's all these there's definitely yeah, some of the beautiful wooden rim motor liter yeah some, some of the singer uh, kind of attachment uh, idea but also um icon um icon four by four one of the coolest companies out there um run by jonathan ward who is probably hands down my favorite person in the automotive world we've mm-hmm. actually got a video um on icon on the channel on youtube i recommend that you seek it out and give it a look but the it, it reminded me of the care and attention that they put into their cars where they mm. literally just take the concept of the car and then redefine everything about it yeah. take it back down to the absolute best it possibly could be fastidious i think is yeah. the word, isn't it it's a- but what's most remarkable is not the quality of what seems like the work that they've done uh the fit and finish the the design to it it's the fact that we're comparing it to companies like Singer and Icon, who will charge you three, four, five hundred thousand dollars mm. for that. How much was this car going for? Well, 
I, I, I hesitate to say because they hadn't actually put a price, but an awful lot less than that, you know, less less than six figures. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. And that's sort of kind of, I don't want to prejudice because I haven't actually put it up for sale yet, but it, it will be. But, but, it was, but, but yeah, easily it was, less than a quarter of what yes, those cars exactly, cost. exactly, yeah. Which is remarkable considering that actually uh, I can do uh, uh, a Land Rover version. Now, really? they, yeah, they, they, they did. Uh, they had one, it's actually in our video that we did on it. Um, now, and it is worth saying, they absolutely go to town on these things that yeah. very little is left of the original car. They rebuild everything to the highest possible spec. But it is interesting to see that there are levels within that kind of half resto mod, half just modding and tuning it, depending on, on how you define those things. It just felt like it's nice to see in Britain, for starters, yeah. uh, someone doing something like that that seems reasonably priced but still exquisitely finished. Yeah, absolutely. No, I thought it was it was great. It's the sort of thing you can imagine. Just it would be a lovely thing to have in your garage and just pop down to the pub on a sunny summer's evening in it, wouldn't it? That's what, was, that's what it said. What was the name of the guys doing it? Uh, ACHSV or ACH Classic. Well, we, we might have so. to go down there and actually do some content on them because it sounds like they're doing some <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, on the uh, topic of modifying existing cars, um, there is a dual birthday for um, Nissan is celebrating 50 years of the GTR uh, yeah. and Ital Design are celebrating their 50th anniversary and they've teamed up to create the GTR 50, the mm. new, not the, the new, a custom embodiment of what the gtr could be and it's 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 quite the looker yeah it really is and i i like the fact that actually the engineering underneath it is a step above a standard gtr as well which well, it's, is, uh, it's based on the nismo so it's already yeah. like on the higher spec they've um from the same engine but they've managed to get the horsepower up to 710 and 570 pa uh, 75 pound feet of torque so that's over 100 horsepower more than i think <laughs> you can get in any other current GTR. Yeah, and and literally no one has ever said in the GTR is like, you know what? It needs no, that's not true. No, no, no. Lots of people have lots said. Of, lots of, okay. Do you know what I no need? Is with, more power. No, no one with sanity. I've <laughs> driven, I have driven a tuned <laughs> Nissan GTR, and they what they're. Which one do you drive? Do you drive Litchfield one? Uh, no, it, it was. Uh, put me on the spot. I've, I've forgotten it, the chap's name now. I always find the fact that um, Ian Litchfield does the. He's got like a thousand brake horsepower and eight hundred brake. He's, he's always got some um, crazy tuned GTR, and yet he's the the most sane normal person you'll ever meet he's he's great um but yeah been, gtrs are definitely a thing oh no um, I, I know they are um what was the company there is people there is a video on seem to think but yes there I, is a, I know yeah. what you mean there, a, there is a video up on our uh, up on our site about uh, stock or or, mo or or custom the um the company that did this had put in like a full ECU with like a new uh, driving modes and and, and it yeah. it made it very loud it made it very Night Racer. That was it. Thank you, Charlie, from off camera. <laughs> Night Racer. I'll just pretend I remembered that. Um, yeah, they, they, they did some crazy most of that car, and it was it was spectacular. So, yes, there are plenty of people who go, you know what? This <laughs> blisteringly fast, perfectly balanced, incredibly well-priced to a certain extent, super sports car, what I really need to do is tinker with that. But, you know, if Nissan are doing it with, with the help of Vital Design, you're actually getting a complete package. So I imagine yeah. it will absolutely go like stink. And absolutely. I look forward. And it's, the GTR is one of those cars that you it kind of gets overlooked a lot of these because it's been around for quite a long time now. And it's still just such a cool The R35, thing. it feels like yeah. it has been around for a while. I remember, I think... Well, it's almost 10 years old, right? The yeah. R35. Um, but it has, it has stood the test of time. And the new, the new facelifted one, uh, was it two years ago that came out? And I, I drove that at, uh, it was the first time I'd ever done Spa. Mm. And I took it out. It oh, was, I went on that launch. Yeah, it was, the, it was the stock um, R35. Um, and I got a double rotation because I also got, um, uh, Charlie was with me and I got his lap. So I got, <laughs> I got to do 12 laps of, of Spa in this thing. And it was just, it is a, it is a great all round car, and yeah. the new interior makes it feel a lot more um, it luxury, does, yeah. and, and it, it's a complete package. But I think the track pack version is probably my favourite of all the details I've done. It's just perfect and really agile, exactly what you want. Well, there's um, a lot to be said for GTRs in any shape or configuration, and they've been doing them for 50 years. I mean, that whole story is something we probably need to go over at some point because it's been yeah. quite the 
between the GTRs and the Skylines and the separation and unification of those names. There's been a lot of interesting stuff that's kept that going for a long time. In fact, we have, a again, on the on the YouTube page, we've got a, a film of a stock original GTR uh, to Japan, which was very interesting. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. It's worth mentioning again. Of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're already familiar with the channel. Uh, but if you're listening to this on the podcast, remember that uh, youtube.com forward slash Carfection or go straight to Carfection.com. You can find all of our videos on this wide variety of amazing content that we do week in week out and if you are watching this on youtube it's good to remind you that we do indeed have the podcast now every other week that will be the extended version of what you're watching right now um it'll be a shortened version up here on youtube but the podcast will have the full conversation that we've had completely uncut and in between each episode there'll be extra little audio-only episodes just for the people who are subscribed to the podcast. Last week, we had an in-depth discussion about the McLaren Senna. Um, we've got quite a few, uh, two pieces of, of content up on the site and on YouTube about it, but for a real long, in-depth conversation about the car that goes into some wonderful detail about some things that we just didn't have time to include in the video, I wholly recommend you go and find episode three of the Carfection for the Love of Cars podcast. I'll show you what the icon looks like for the podcast right there. Charlie can throw it in so you know what you're looking for. And if while you're there, you want to give it a five-star rating on iTunes, I would be highly grateful. I would too, yes. And Henry would also be uh, grateful. And of course, if you want to keep track of what we're doing on a more daily basis, you can find us across all the social uh, networks, medias, and whatnot. So on Facebook, you can just do a search for Carfection and you'll find us there. And on Twitter, we are at Carfection. And on Instagram, it's at Carfection Films. And of course, if you want to stay in touch with us directly, at Henry Catchpole everywhere, and I'm at Drew Stern. Easily done. Now, talking about stuff that we've had up on the site, um, we talked at length about the GT3 manual film, which went out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't want to go over that again. A fantastic, amazing piece of content, one of the best pieces that we've ever done on the channel. Well worth checking out. But that car had more to give in terms of stuff to talk about. It did. So by the time that you are watching this or listening to this, we will have the full review out on the car. We will, won't we, Charlie? Yeah, he'll definitely. <laughs> He's nodding. He's de yeah, we'll <laughs> definitely have it. So um, what I wanted to touch on briefly is that you've now driven the, uh, in relatively uh, quick succession, the GT3 and the GT3 RS. Yep. Um, and you, you talk about it in the film, but I think it's worth kind of going into a bit more detail about how the specs for those cars, it felt a little bit reversed from what you were expecting <laughs> or for what people might necessarily expect the difference to be because the gt3 of the two the gt3 feels more like a road car whereas the gt3 rs feels more track focused yeah i mean that's certainly what you'd expect yeah obviously it's um and you look at the gt3 rs i saw on uh, on the way coming back from le mans and it just looks amazing it looks like it could have just driven straight off the circuit mm. uh, onto the road it's that wing is so so high now it's amazing but yeah you're right in terms of the specs of the cars that i drove they felt slightly the wrong way around because the rs didn't have a cage um and it was had sort of full leather inside and it was on steel brakes which i know pointing says actually is better for track because they're you know more cost effective to replace if you're going through them quickly but from a if it's meant to be the ultimate, then you'd expect That's a very to pragmatic exactly. benefit to yes. say. Yeah, that exactly. is not yeah. like the ultimate performance. It's like, no, you're going to burn through them. You're going to want to replace exactly, them. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas the GT3 we drove did have a cage, um, had the same full bucket seats, all the Alcantara, and it uh, and it did have the Carbon Ceramic brakes. So it actually felt, from the inside, the, the racier of the two cars, which is kind of the wrong way. So they felt closer, the, the RS in its touring spec and the gt3 in its more racing spec felt a lot closer together than you'd expect yeah and, to I, be. and i think to be honest even disregarding spec or you know given similar spec the, the cars just felt much more similar than the jump between the first generation 991 gt3 and the first generation gt3 rs mm -hmm. um where there was a much bigger step on to get to the rs yeah um, they, they were much more separate now the engines are the same really i mean there's a there's a slight power uplift for the rs but not really so as you'd notice as i say for me the biggest thing was probably the the steering um in fact i think because they've obviously they've changed the geometry um changed the suspension slightly for the rs um it's it just felt like undoubtedly the reason they've done that is to get a better lap time out of it make better use of the tires at the extreme sort of 
uh, the outer edges of its its performance. Um, so just around the straight ahead, it felt like it, like the tyres were just wanting to get onto their contact patch. So it was it was slightly sort of not dead, but just slightly lighter around the straight mm-hmm. ahead. Whereas the GT3 felt like it was more connected um, it, everywhere. It was there was no no slack at all um, in the system. So yeah. Well, so I mean, we're still to. Um add the gt2 rs to the lineup of cars that we've mm. driven out of the absolute top tier of the 911 spec at the moment yeah but do you suspect that the gt3 is actually the sweet spot on that high performance range in terms of what you're getting for availability money and uh, and practicality uh, everything everything considered about really owning these cars is that really given a choice of all three and money no option the one that you'd go for or do you suspect really that if it was that open you would end up going for the gt3 rs or the gt2 uh no i'd I'd go for the g3 i mean as much as anything the other film obviously manual gearbox which you can't get on gt3 rs or the gt2 rs yeah and which is a genuinely big difference to make in actually your driving experience exactly so that's that's for me that's the the reason i would have that well hopefully by the time that you're listening to this or watching this you will have seen all of our films on there i'd be quite interested to see uh what you think of the matter if you can send us a message on uh twitter or leave it in the comments below use the hashtag ftloc make it easier for us to find out of the entire lineup of porsche cars where do you think the sweet spot lies if some mon- people might say it's Carrera might say Carrera seen quite yeah. a few owners who absolutely adore them and think that is probably the sweet spot yeah i think the, the the difficulty is is that very few people actually get the chance to drive them all and this is the the job that we have is to try and convey these this feeling of what each car has as an individual identity within the 911 range and it's actually something that i want to come back on in a in a future discussion as well about just how wide the 911 range can get because it's probably one of the most diverse cars whatever um but the gt3 and the gt3 rs as close as they are um, I think the GT2 RS is going to be quite spectacular when we get hold of that yeah. um, very shortly. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have very uh, much more to talk about that uh, in upcoming episodes. Plans afoot. Plans are afoot. Uh, we will complete the um, specialist high-performance version <laughs> of the 911 cars in the current generation very, very soon. But in the meantime, going completely left field. Now, I have not had the privilege of driving the, the Chiron uh, because you did. Um, but... <laughs> tell you what i have been able to do and apologies to the uh the podcast listeners for a second because i may have to go silent while i reach down here there you go podcast <laughs> listeners get some some groaning and some groaning and, and some bashing that ladies and gentlemen is the lego technic bugatti chiron uh some of you will uh, undoubtedly remember that uh recently or a couple of years ago um Lego released the uh, 911 GT3 RS, which if you might be able to catch a glimpse of behind us, Not which wrong. is actually Charlie's own one, which he built with his own fair hand. Um, this well, one, hand. hands, uh, this is like the follow-up to that. This is a one in eight model Lego Bugatti Chiron in the kind of launch blue color that they had, the two-tone blue. And uh, I built this with the help of um, uh, CNET's uh, Andy Hoyle. Uh, at least he helped me for the first couple of sessions, and then uh, it took a lot longer. It probably took about 12, 13 hours to build all in, which was a lot longer than I was anticipating. And what is uh, quite striking about this is the complexity of it. It is an incredibly detailed model, over 3,000 pieces. Um, but it's not just a superficial looking model, it has a working engine gearbox steering rack gear selectors um and actually in the front there is a special key much like you get and some, luggage. and some custom luggage i will freely admit that i haven't actually put all of the stickers on uh because by the time i'd finished this i was I'd spread 13 hours of building it over four days and i was kind of sick of it but um there's a key which you know it folds out not the Lego version of a luxury key, and I realize actually a bit <laughs> a bit has fallen off there. I don't, I'm not entirely sure where that's gone. But if I reach around here, uh, again, apologies to the podcast listeners, but I'm trying to stick a thingy in a hole. And when you're building Lego, <laughs> wow. a lot of a lot of description is like, <laughs> oh, but explicit on this podcast. Sorry, yeah. Um, you end up basically the language you use when building Lego is I need to put a thingy in the. The thingy with the four thingy. Have you got the small thingy? Yeah, the the blue thingy. With the long thingy. Um, 
This was working earlier when I was rehearsing it, and now I can't get it to work. You rehearsed this? I rehearsed this, yeah. Okay, why don't I just lift it up? No, we'll pretend. I want, I want to do it oh, look at that. Oh. I want to do it with the key. Okay, well, what's meant to happen is that I turn this key. There you go. Oh, it's there, working. Okay, so there you go. There's a key. It's worth waiting for, I think you'll all agree. I thought it was worth waiting for. Anyway, the, the key actually adjusts the rear wing because the rear wing on the GT3 RS was, of course, fixed, uh, but it had a opening trunk, whereas this, you get to use it, which is not 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 too dissimilar from how... Uh, it worked on the Veyron, and I believe also on the Chiron, where you have a special key to unlock the high-speed mode, where it lowers the body and all that. Is that still the case on the Chiron? Uh, yes, it is. It's um, although the Chiron actually it, it, it would sort of bring the wing down because it, you want to yeah in, more in aerodynamics. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's but the to go over three eighty kilometers an hour. The including the the mechanical marvels of this thing include a working flappy paddle gearbox. So you can actually, inside the cabin, you can change the gears. That's the sound of the gears changing. There are working differentials front and rear, which is uh -huh. very cool. The um, drivetrain is actually all connected up. So the gears actually connect to a gearbox, which you can see being active underneath. Um, well, we're now turning the I'm model over. flipping it over, trying to show the bottom. Oh, a bit pieces falling off. Is three thousand bits. It's very hard. Well, actually, just showing that you went. Oh, look at that! Yeah, working, working differential, as you can see there. And if I reach over, the luggage has fallen out the front. This is all going horribly wrong, Henry. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to show you. If you look inside there, when I I'm do looking. the gears, yes. you can see the sequential gearbox actually in place. There's there the complex. There are, shafts. there are shafts, cogs, and everything's interconnected. You can put the car in neutral, forward, and reverse. It is. Honestly, if you are trying to teach a young person about cars, well, this is what I was going to. This I'm speaking to the mic. Here. This is what I was going to ask. Um, is do you feel like you have a better understanding of any sorts of particular types of engineering after building one of these? If I'm brutally honest, um, what it was more useful is I was building with Andy, who has very little car knowledge, and I was able to demonstrate being able to demonstrate how a differential works. Yeah, I have literally no idea where that piece fell off from, but. No. We'll, we'll, we'll find it later, it's fine. Um, differentials are a such a ubiquitous part of automotive engineering, yet not necessarily the easiest thing to describe. Being able to show it in actually working in action is very, very cool. Um, the the drivetrain uh, showing how the engine works, because there's no kind of headers on the engine, uh, on the cylinders, you get to see the cylinders going up and down. So you can, you can demonstrate how like the firing order might work. Um, you can kind of explain the like a four-stroke engine and how that's how that can connect gearboxes again is something that you can it's not super super complicated engineering but it is yeah i think that's where that yeah. bit goes um but it is fundamental car engineering stuff that you know this this is designed for a 16 plus uh, age group is what it says in the box but i i think if you have kids who are older than seven or eight who have any interest in engineering or <clears throat> have shown any uh, desire to understand how a car works this is an incredibly great place to start and it's a it's a huge engaging project it does take a long time you do need to commit quite a few afternoons yeah. to get it done properly especially if you want to add all the stickers correctly but um i mean the biggest marvel is how they came up with some of the complexities of how this design is put together is is an incredible piece of lego engineering representing a great piece of automotive engineering and it's going to have to satisfy my appetite for the bugatti chiron for some time <laughs> because i don't think i'm going to get a chance to drive one anytime soon but in its stead this has been a great project to sink a teeth into it is not a cheap box of lego um i think this costs well north of 300 pounds but it is a rather, I mean, the, the box that comes in and all the way it unpacks, it's quite an it is. experience. Yes, it? I mean, there's the, um, we'll have a full build video uh, coming to the channel very, very, very soon. And probably also on IGTV, which is the newest social network. Oh, Instagram TV. Instagram yeah. TV, where we're also trying to be a bit more active. We'll probably put a time lapse of the entire build, which we've filmed at length. So you can kind of get an idea. Um, of the intensity of work it takes to do but more so if you work very closely you can see the bits where we get so far and then have to backtrack and go backwards oh. where oh. i um i mounted one of the uh, wheel mounts upside down uh and then realized about five or six pages later when the steering the wheels were pointing in different directions <clears throat> pardon me and i couldn't figure out why um so you see us then completely disassemble the wheel to 
put the whole thing back together. I was once involved in a, a catering bill project that was something like that. A real catering bill? Yeah. 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 Slightly more worrying if it's something you're expecting to drive. That's why I can't trust myself with a kit car build. <laughs> I would probably never want to drive a car that I had built myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if a if a club would have me as a member, I wouldn't want to join. Yes. That kind indeed. of thing. Yes. But, Scratch your marks? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Um, but that is the Lego Bugatti Chiron. I can certainly recommend it for those who've got a bit of money in their pocket and want to spend it on one of the most spectacular Lego Technic projects I've certainly worked with. Honestly, I think possibly the 911 GT3 RS might be the more attractive of the two overall. Um, uh, I certainly think it looked more imposing with that big wing on the back. But this is a stunning piece of, uh, of Lego engineering and it's well worth checking out. Talking about actually that one, yeah. reminded me, I, I got sent an email the other day, um, a chap who uh, has done a very cool set of images um, of putting a GT3 RS Lego into real life situations sort of scaled up so it looks as though it's it's a full size oh, really? version on the road um which yeah looks pretty i think cool. with some trick photography i think because um andy who built this with us has been was out with you when you did the um bugatti chiron film which also is worth mentioning is one of the pieces of content that will be coming to the site in the next couple of weeks there'll be a uh, we already did the walk around uh, with Andy Wallace uh, on the engineering front talking about some of the wonderful complexities of the engineering of the Bugatti Chiron but there is a full film coming out with a full gallery uh, going coming to the website very very shortly um, oh yes that is uh, those are actually quite remarkably attractive looking pictures they're they're very good we'll have to put a couple of them up and who did those it is a chap called Tomek Mikulski Yes. Well, well, well done, Tomek. Those look absolutely stunning. Um, yes, we'll have a full film on the on the proper Bugatti Chiron because you know Henry is is not the smallest person and probably wouldn't fit in in this one. Although I think with some movie magic, we could probably make that happen. <laughs> um, coming to the site very very soon. Uh, speaking of videos that we put up recently, we had uh, two smaller films that went up this week. Uh, firstly, you drove the. We put you in an MX Five um, RF for the first time. You know, we're all the last episode of Footlock. Obviously, sections of it were filmed in a uh, an NA MX Five actually, but mm -hmm. this was the RF version, the hard metal folding roof version of the ND latest generation of the MX Five. Um, so the in that you were kind of comparing the soft top to the hard top and whether or not the uh you lost anything in the equation is that yeah. is that you and i kind of ended up i think i ended up sort of concluding both sides of the argument somehow because yeah, I, I, I would have the soft top but equally if you choose to go down the hard top you don't lose that much yeah there's not not too much being lost in the mix that was filmed down at uh, silverstone at the um uh, the other track, Stowe Circuit. Stowe's track, yeah. Stowe Circuit. Um, which I tell you what, like the I was there with you uh, on the day. Uh, we were there to get some other stuff. Obviously, we shot Footlock there the previous episode. But just being out on track on an MX-5, I realised I hadn't ever driven an MX-5 out on track. <laughs> I'd driven them on road, like different generations and different configurations, but I never really gone on track and just pushed one as hard as I, I could and just had fun with it. They're great. And somebody actually mentioned in the, or a couple of people mentioned in the comments below the amount of roll that you get. Um, you know, it's, yeah. very, it's very obvious when you look at it. But that's exactly, that's why they're such good cars to learn in. They might not be, might not make them the most sort of precise dynamically, but it's all about, you know, so much of driving a car quickly is about weight transfer. Absolutely. Particularly, particularly until aero gets involved. Aero, you know, takes that to a slightly different level. But fundamentally, driving a car quickly whether it's a you know a gt3 race car all the way down to well an, an mx5 or a catering or something you know at different levels it is about weight transfer mm. um and again you know, particularly in rallying when you look at that and it's about feeling that shift and working with the car and being in tune with how uh, it rolls and squats and dives and that and getting it therefore to work with the tires uh, underneath that and that's why an mx5 is such a brilliant little tool for for teaching you how to drive because if you can manage the, the role in that and and get to understand it and and predict it then that's you know you're going a long way to actually understanding the dynamics of you know improving your driving basically and you're doing it at reasonable speed as well yeah, like that's well, without thing, isn't it? you know if you jump immediately into a race car you're just trying to manage the speed at which you're going at mm. and there isn't much brain power left to consider things like dialing in the suspension and loading up a car coming into yeah. a turn but I wasn't being filmed out there. I was 
in the very best of senses, just <laughs> killing time while you guys were filming. So I was I was just there to have fun, and there was nothing more liberating than just having a track and a car. And they had a selection mm. of MX-5s, uh, ND MX-5s there. Um, so I was able to drive one until I felt like I've probably been on the brakes a little bit too much. Jump out of that one, jump in a fresh one, and go right <laughs> back out on track. Um, so I don't know how many laps I did, but it was it was brilliant fun. And and the I felt like you know I'm not the the designated track specialist driver on Carfection, nor will I probably ever be. So any chance to get out and drive a car as fast as I can on track is a learning experience. And you're exactly right. The the MX-5 is just you, you're within a couple of laps you can start to feel the difference between your know, braking before the turn trail braking in feeling how much you can push the car into oversteer and when the photographer who's going around getting pictures lined up uh, on a particular corner went look i'm no drifting legend but i know i can get them back up for this <laughs> corner to make some make the photos look a bit better and sure enough like as soon as, as soon as you come in and you you can feel like you've got control of that car relatively quickly. It was much easier to throw it around and, and have fun with and get the back out. And the photos came out really, really well. So, um, And there's an argument to say good. that sort of, you know, we've also been talking a lot about the McLaren Senna recently, which is at the, the, <laughs> the, the very other top end, end yeah. of, of road um, track cars. But there is an argument to say you can learn as much about driving in an MX-5 as you can in the McLaren Senna. Well, we've, we've uh, before looked at... Um, F1 tuition that's given in an Astra. Just yeah. it is that the, the principles uh, are more exaggerated there because it's it's slower and you've got more body roll. And once you're tuned to that, you can you if you get fast in a slow car, you'll be faster in a fast car. Like yeah. the the it's it's almost like something like the McLaren Senna. Very very easy to go a lot quicker than an MX-5, <laughs> but it's a lot harder to go incrementally quicker in an mx5 unless you learn to, to drive it properly um so besides the fact whether you would go for the rf or the um the soft top they are an incredibly fun car to drive and yeah. and all it maybe do is want to go back out on track and and drive it some more um those that film is already up on uh, on site as is uh two pieces that i did on the uh, a class the mercedes a class there is a new uh, fourth generation around and they've um, I was out on a launch where they had an original, uh, a 1998 Baby Benz A-Class, the A140, and we were driving the new A200. Um, and what was the biggest difference was just the quality of the interior. Yeah. The uh, the A140 from 20 years ago felt very plasticky and and. Uh, and and cheap it was a cheaper car for mercedes and we have a secondary film on that about how a moose almost killed the company uh on the a-class um which i'm not going to go into detail now you need to go to the youtube channel or to carfection.com and watch that but jumping from that into the new a-class where it is still the entry level for mercedes but the interior they've absolutely gone to town on it they've got this wonderful new infotainment screen the mbux mercedes-benz user experience system this new touchscreen it's got two 10-inch screens directly replacing the infotainment and the instrument binnacle and it just looks the part problem is it's voice activated and the much like if you have uh, an amazon uh, alexa you might you trigger it by saying the word alexa which if you're listening to this on your alexa i've now just triggered anyway right. uh, <laughs> yeah it's uh, like saying i don't know Siri, take me to carfection.com. Yes, for example, that. Um, in the Mercedes, the listen word, the word that you say that starts it listening and then it will do a task, is Mercedes, which normally isn't a problem. If you're driving around, it's unlikely that you're frequently going to be saying the word Mercedes. If you're doing a review of the car, however, you say it quite a lot. And... Every and I kept forgetting that that was the trigger word. So every time I'd get like just talking about the car and the company, it started listening. It would grab a couple of words of what I said, and its default was to call the person who was roughly like the words I was saying. So it kept trying to call people in the middle of of my piece, and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. Uh, and Mercedes have confirmed that you can't actually change the listen word. Meanwhile, in another country, Henry going, what? Why, yeah. why does Drew keep calling me and then hanging up? This is, <laughs> He's calling me and then giving me insights into the new A200. <laughs> I don't <That's> care. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. That's tremendous. I'll just watch the video. Yeah. Um, but that was a lot of fun. Me and uh, George were out filming that. And we got incredibly, incredibly frustrated, but um, 
But it was a lot of fun to do. I actually spent a long time in uh, previous generation A200 uh, doing a tire test once. This might seem like an odd car to do a tire test in. I'm still not quite sure why we did it in that, but it was down at the Goodyear Dunlop track in the south of France, which is a really, really good track. It was originally a motorbike uh, track. It's got an amazing first sort of corner where you plunge downhill and then there's a big banked corner at the bottom of that, Mm. um, which you could actually get the... Mercedes quite sideways on because there are various cheat codes that mean you can actually turn all the ABS and all the ASP off, which obviously is what you needed to do for tire testing. So um, yeah, that's quite good fun. Fair enough. Um, we that film is already up on the uh, on the site and on YouTube. I recommend you check it out. But coming up next week is uh, another little film that uh, George and I shot on the BMW 1M Coupe. Now the the 1M Coupe is an an anomaly in the BMW norm- nomenclature because all the M cars are usually referred to like your M4, your M5, um, simple. Letter first. Letter first, the M first and then the number. So you have the six series and you get the M6. You've got the five series, you've got the M5. You've got the two series and you've got the M2, but the precursor to the M2 was when the one series had the hatch and the uh, coupe, but instead of calling it the M1, they called it the one M coupe. And we have a film coming up explaining why we have oh. a film. Sorry, something just switched off. Uh, we have a film coming up to explain why BMW switched that round um, for that car, uh, relating back to the probably the only true supercar that BMW ever made, the um, the M1. The M1. Um, which again is another film that we have a film up back from the old X Car days on the Carfection channel. Well worth checking out. The intro to that actually is uh, I made it look like a seventies porn movie on purpose. Yeah, I'm quite proud of that. I'm not sure I want to go and watch it now. It's fine. It's it's all very uh, uh, safe for work, but it's uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's it looks more Tremendous. safe for work than it sounds. It has very kind of sleazy music to it. It's a shining point in my video editing career. I whole, wholeheartedly <laughs> recommend that you go back and check it out. In fact, I'm going to show it to you later just because um, that's how proud I am. Talking of BMW um, M1s, actually, that would lead us slightly into some of the motorsport news mm. because uh, I was at it, uh, Rally Ypres um, reporting on that for other things and it was um, amazing it's such a cool rally but th- and the reason that an M1 is sort of linked to that is because they were celebrating um, the history of Rally Ypres and they had a picture there of an M1 doing that rally yeah. um, back in the day and I just thought how cool would that be see that doing a, a proper um, stage stage rally would be be amazing it's just always weird to think of how many different cars we think of as sports cars or supercars that were set up to do rallying or had like were, were built with rallying in mind or used to rally yeah absolutely. like it always occurs to me that being odd i think a 911 could be used to rally yeah but it but clearly did absolutely and, very and, well. s- and still does yeah. because uh at rally but just behind all the r5 or the front running r5 cars were about eight uh 911 997 gt3 uh, rally cars, RGT cars, which was uh, the, f- the front-running one uh, run by Patrick Schneiers, the, the legendary Belgian uh, rally driver, who some of you might know the name from him driving an E30 M3 forcefully, I think, as Steve Ryder um, described it, uh, on the Isle of Man back in 88, I think. Um, and, yeah, that's that's worth looking up. But, yeah, amazing to have all the R5 cars coming through, led by Thierry Nerville, who was doing the rally and won the rally overall. But then... You you could always hear. So I went to the shakedown and qualifying because they hold a qualifying run um, to see the top 15 drivers on the Thursday night. And you could always hear, it was great for me because I was doing some filming, and you could hear when a 911 was coming just, just minutes before it ever arrived. Um, you'd hear it getting to the start line and then screaming off, and it was just just wonderful just to hear that noise of that flat six or those flat sixes. Um, in the hills and um, across the fields amazing I'm going to have to tag along on one of these one day because you're making it sound like a very appealing weekend <laughs> away for standing in a field in Belgium <clears throat> yeah um, I know it it's, sounds like a lot of funds to be had it is actually it's, it's a really well run rally though uh, because hey, it's not very far away if you live in the south of England it's nice and easy to get to it's just hop across the channel and then it's an hour the other side to get to uh, Ypres and it's amazingly well run the way it they run the stages in a sort of anti-clockwise direction around the outside of Ypres. Really easy to get to. Lots of really you know, enthusiastic fans. 
Um, they've even got sort of you know clips so you can see where you want to go and stand and this is what it'll look like this is what to expect and yeah just lots of cars to enjoy we've got belgian beer there as well if you want to stay overnight and always a win yeah exactly so it's uh yeah and obviously a historic part of the world as well so that's, that's that yeah too. i mean for a history bus uh ypres is one of the most significant places to go for world war one history yeah they absolutely. still have a lot of uh trenches there but that's a different subject altogether well worth a visit there's also a uh theme park there called Bellavarda, which I really I enjoyed. saw that yes. yeah because one of the stages actually uh first stage I went to on Saturday morning it was literally next door to that so yeah I was standing and looking at this random theme park yeah I actually grew up in the Netherlands which you know Belgium and Netherlands are very close to each other uh adjacent some may even say <laughs> um so it'd be very it's always very easy for us to go over into Belgium and we used to go there and uh, go to that theme park yeah. can wholeheartedly recommend that as well um that takes us into the motorsport news in general uh what else has been happening in the world of rallying uh not a lot in the world of rallying but in the world of rally cross yeah. world rally cross uh we had the swedish round mm-hmm. uh which is meant to be the best best round i think sort of sort of for spectating um and it's a, a very cool circuit and johan christopherson won again, again yeah and yeah i <laughs> It was really exciting. I still love watching all the, the highlights. They do it really well. There's, you know, Facebook. You can watch it live on Facebook now um, for a lot of the qualifying rounds and the cars are great. And it's all, everything we talked about before about why World Rallycross is is really, really good. Um, but Johan Christofferson is, is sort of dominating really at the moment. I think he won eight of the races in a row. So they have the four qualifying and then they have the semi-final and he won eight of those in a row, which just seems crazy. And there's still reasons to watch it because there's other stuff happening behind in the field. But yeah, how do you solve a problem like Johan? Because it's starting to look a bit a bit dominant and you don't want people just when Royal Rallycross is starting to pick up, you know, kick off and, and get more interest you don't want somebody dominating like that i don't think because that's why people you know they didn't like the schumacher era they don't like the Loeb era because you've got one person and he just he's in the uh vw polo um which incidentally actually you can see it's completely i wasn't doing it for this reason but you can i had a passenger ride with him um in a world rallycross polo it was a taxi car but it's still very good and you can see the video footage of that on the channel yes you can um so go and have a look at that but He's got that car absolutely dialed in now, and he's it is beautiful to watch how much control he has over this car that is just a fire breathing monster basically and it's it's balletic it's just extraordinary to watch um Peugeot brought an update, so Timmy Hansen had a new car there, sadly got sort of punted off in the final um a bit but so that's looking good. Loeb has been challenging, but he'll feel like they're playing catch up really with that that v w and and Christopherson, even even Solberg. Um, is struggling to keep up with his teammate, uh, so yeah. So it's not it's not just kind of mechanical dominance in the car. It is genuine, just yeah. Talent. I think um, that, that VW is, I think, a, a step above the others. Not a big step, but just a bit of a step. Enough. And and Christopherson's obviously at the the top of his game um, as well. And he's got the car working how he wants it to work. So um, once you get those two things together, it's. Yeah, he's a pretty, he's pretty unstoppable. Uh, it happens from time to time, as you, you mentioned, a couple of years in the, the Schumacher era in Formula One definitely felt like that. There was yeah. no way that, that they were ever getting caught. Vettel had the same thing. He got that Red Bull to work um, with like the, the blown row, diffuser yeah. kind of. That was he he knew how to drive that car, and it was it just suited suited him, didn't it? And we had been seeing a absolute domination by Mercedes for quite a few years, but. Uh, if for anyone who has been following Formula <laughs> One, this weekend was mildly catastrophic for <laughs> yeah. Mercedes. Uh, it was the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring. And for the first time, I believe since the 50s, Mercedes had two cars retire for mechanical issues. Obviously, they both retired two or three years ago in Barcelona because they mm. crashed into each other yeah. on the first uh, on the first lap. Rosberg squeezed <clears throat> Lewis, who then lost control the and then took him out in the yeah. turn, which was quite spectacular because that was actually the first ever race that Max Verstappen won. Oh, and yes. now went both again. cars went out <laughs> and Max Verstappen won again. In fact, for a while, it looked like it might have been a 1-2 for Red Bull. But unfortunately, Danny Ricciardo had to retire his car as well. Yeah. Um, there was feeling like there was quite a few mechanical haircuts going on uh, out there. Um, with uh, Seb Vettel coming in uh, third place, uh, who got 
kind of pinched out at the, at the beginning as well, but did a great uh, push to come back from as far as he was. But that puts Seb back, because a DNF is almost catastrophic when it's as close as it has been this season for... Um, uh, the championship. Yeah, for the championship, because Lewis had just taken it back from Seb, and now it's changed place again, but there's only one point in it, and we're... You know, it's what's known as a ding-dong battle. A ding-dong battle. That's... <laughs> They need to come up with a cooler name than that because that kind of downplays it slightly. Um, so it feels like this is very much like uh, this is the season that we wanted, actually. Um, and uh, it, not only for the Drivers' Championship, but for the Constructors' Championship because it actually yeah. means that that is actual competition between McLaren. Uh, sorry, but McLaren. That's <laughs> in a joke in its own right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, between Mercedes and Ferrari, which is brilliant. And also, we're coming up to the summer break, so we've got Silverstone happening this Saturday. Obviously, probably by the time you see this, the race will be on or will have just happened. Uh, and we don't, we haven't even had qualifying yet because we're recording this on Wednesday, so we don't know uh, what the outcome of that will be. But um, going into the break, there is a lot of talk about uh, drivers shifting around. So the yeah. the biggest uh, rumor suggestion was that Charles Leclerc could be coming over to Ferrari. Yep. Uh, Which actually just so he would obviously be replacing Raikkonen there, yes. and Raikkonen was one of my two sort of moments of of that Grand Prix because uh, his start obviously squeezing between the two Mercedes. He had a and wonderful then, start coming back from third place. Amazing, and then obviously went off the circuit at the first turn, I think it was, but and miraculously stayed ahead of Max Verstappen. How he did check that? Out, check out the onboard of that and his, you know. It's easy to forget that he was in the World Rally Championship. Yeah. Not when you see that, because this, the calmly catches the massive um, oversteer slide. And doesn't he has get the and doesn't get overtaken by Max Verstappen. No, just you know, carries on round the outside, round the outside, yeah. round the outside. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Um, no, they they there was actually the whole kind of uh, battle between Kimi and Max was was definitely one of the highlights. That that yeah. very slight rub that Max gave to Kimi <laughs> just to push him wide enough to allow him to take the yeah. inside line and, and, and take the lead in that race ended up being the defining moment of that race. Yeah. Um, and it was very clever because I listened or read somewhere afterwards about how uh, Max had actually, you know, he's, we all know he seems to be this sort of, you know, fat-breathing youngster who's brilliant at sort of just smashing in really fast laps. But the way he won the race was by managing his tyres. Now, I would normally snooze factor managing tires and all that but it was very clever the way he did it so he'd worked out where the they were all suffering from blistering on the rear tires because there's yeah. lots of heavy loading um so he was simply just taking it easier through the last two corners that's where so he was going you know absolutely helpful over the rest of the lap but then managing to you, you couldn't see it from the outside i wouldn't think but to drive through those last two corners which is super high speed um, corners amazing to watch must be incredible to drive in mm. an F1 car um, but still driving obviously at the limit but just bringing it back enough to keep the temperature on the outside tyre actually less than that of the inside tyre so the right rear um, which was pretty extraordinary Red Bull were just blown away by how how much feel he had for the car to be able to do that yeah I mean you can you can levy a complaint against a lot of people like uh, like Max Verstappen, that you feel that there's some element of being able to get into the into the racing world because of your dad, who incidentally, I believe, overlapped with Kimi Raikkonen in their career. Just how old you forget, Kimi, Yost the boss. Yeah, Yost the boss. It, Kimi looks good for for his relative old age, but he has been in the game for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but there is something about I, again, as you say, despite all of his, his hot headedness and um, and 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 passion for speed, there is a level of understanding and mechanical sympathy um he, he demonstrated it in brazil uh on yeah, the ra and, yeah. and that legendary race where he held a drift coming out of the final corner and just and 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 in a fraction of a second realized the front had grip and that pointing at the wall he knew he could blip the throttle and and get out of a spin which he's been on a million different news programs talking about that because it was one of the most legendary saves i've ever seen yeah. and the whole that whole lap he was able to go quicker because he was able to find the places of of grip that in a whole field of professional racing drivers, yeah. he was able to do better than anyone else, despite was, being the youngest driver on the grid. His feel for the car on a sort of basically molecular level, isn't it? Absolutely, and he's he's the fourth um, 
uh, this is fourth win uh, yeah. in Formula One, and, and it was amazing to see it as well because they did a piece before the in the build up to it of all the fans that have travelled. This enormous oh, grandstand I've, with all the orange because of course there, there is no Formula One in the Netherlands. No, and um, although there was a Grand Prix there, but yeah. for a motorbike because it was the Assen um, yeah. GP there, which is apparently amazing. I haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil it for me. I haven't seen it. No, but the the Apparent very good. Uh, but yeah, you could yeah. hear the crowd roaring. As he went around that turn, and he was going to win. He's the and most just the support. It was extraordinary. It was like watching, um, you know, you see the Rossi grandstands for yeah. the MotoGP, and it was that sort of level of um, support, it, which was yeah, incredible to see. The for uh, the Netherlands, as 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 I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the Netherlands, and it's always been a country that's that's followed Formula One, but never really had even with like Jos has never really had anyone of that level of success in an era where they could be fully passionate and committed. And then out of the woodwork comes Max and is just, who, who not just the Netherlands, but also represents Belgium. Uh, um, he's able to just embody that and, and they absolutely love him. Having someone to get behind at all, even if he was in, even as in McLaren at the back of the grid, not finishing his races, he would still have most of that following. But the fact that wherever he comes, it's an exciting race, and he's able to you know rub shoulders with the like of of Sir Vettel. I saw a brilliant, brilliant interview with him with a Dutch reporter after a race where Sir Vettel is not above complaining about other drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, some might say that him complaining about is it Grosjean when he was on Red Bull got Grosjean and Max Verstappen swapped between Toro oh, Rosso okay, and Kvyat, Red Bull. Uh, so, sorry, Kvyat, yeah, yeah. Daniel Kvyat, which then immediately after was that Barcelona race where he won. Yeah. So, and and he won on his first ever race with yeah. Red Bull, and I'm pretty sure Seb regretted that. But after one particular race where they rubbed rubbed tires and and uh, definitely rubbed Seb up the wrong way. Um, in Dutch, he just basically says, "Well, Seb was saying that you're getting his way." He says, "Well, yeah, he should have kept his foot down." It's just like, <laughs> he's talking about four times world champion Sebastian yeah. Vettel, uh, who's still looks young to me, but to Max Verstappen must feel like a granddad. Yeah. Um, and just like not disrespect, but definitely is not going to suffer any fools lightly. And he knows he deserves that that place. Yeah. And there is no doubt, there's no doubt he'll be with with Red Bull uh, next year as well. But his teammate is slightly more question marks around that because at the end of 2018, uh, Danny Ricardo is out of contract and they haven't uh, announced yet whether or not he's going to be offered another one there's yeah. heavy is ev- it just about money though is it just is it, it is it just be, gonna I think he wants more favourable terms than to be more on a level with Max who's definitely if not I mean Danny Ricardo is a fantastic driver like, mm. and what he definitely has over Max Verstappen is experience and a level head when it counts uh, and no one can overtake like Danny Ricardo. but um, he is not he's, he just turned 29 <laughs> which is <laughs> These days is is you know he's almost ten years older than Max, and it, which which makes me feel really old because that's still significantly younger than I am. But he's getting uh, longer in the tooth, and he's he's still got a, a good while left in him. But uh, he'd probably like to be re- financially remunerated to. A, a he's got to make degree. ends meet, isn't he? That's he's got it, to know. make those ends meet, uh, and he and he wants his win. He he really is pushing for that for that title which he definitely deserves based on talent but he hasn't signed so that's a bit not entirely sure Kimi has always said that he wants to end his career um, at Ferrari but might he be ending it at McLaren uh, well that's it he was at McLaren <laughs> uh, McLaren was the second team he was with he started at Sauber and then McLaren 03 to 06 I believe mm. it was well, um, he really should have won a championship I mean, there's there's a lot of should-haves around that era. A lot of people who kind of missed out when they possibly could have got their championships. Um, uh, the, he was just blindingly quick back then. Though. Him and that car was extraordinary to watch. Yeah, he and again, he also is one of those should-have drivers who's yeah. just kind of never quite been in the right car at the right time. Yeah. Um, with with Alonso complaining as much as to go from winning at Le Mans. To doing so badly at the at the French Grand Prix, mm. um, and again complaining at the beginning of the Austrian Grand Prix, just <laughs> at the back, absolute back, just going, "What am I doing here?" Like, yeah. I'm Fernando Alonso. Like, what am I doing here? Um, so, whether yeah, you're not, Fernando Alonso, yeah, you exactly. make bad decisions about what teams to join. Yeah, he is. That's what you're doing. He though. is about three years behind the right decision. Yeah. Um, uh, whether or not he'll pack it in, leave a gap at McLaren. 
Charles Leclerc. Uh, Surely he's going to pay. He's going to go to IndyCar, isn't he? He's going to go for this, <sighs> this triple crown. He, he has to get that. Although now. I would like it if Montoya, this if Montoya is, yeah. just went to Le Mans and just pipped into it and just went, <laughs> sorry. That would be quite fun. Um, but then Alonso could say, well, at least I finished Le Mans this year, which Juan Pablo Montoya did not. Um, if Charles Leclerc, who trained up with Ferrari, um, and is driving a Ferrari engine car now, it seems very likely to come on board with Ferrari, then who knows what's in store for Kimi. He's been he's been around. Perhaps he'll go back to WLC. They said there's suggestions of I was just wild speculation of him going and driving a, a testing a Toyota, which might well happen. Okay. Apparently, uh, I heard a rumor that under uh, the name James Hunt, he races um, Snowmobile. snowmobiles mm-hmm. uh, up in Finland, which mm-hmm. for his for insurance reasons, because they'll never insure him under <laughs> his own name. But uh, Silverstone is is this weekend. Um, You've probably either listened to this before or after uh, Silverstone, which I, I certainly can't blame you for. But hopefully uh, that is an exciting race. I mean, it's Lewis's home race. So as much as I, uh, I, I like to see the, the championship stay tight, there's something about winning your home Grand Prix that must be quite impressive. So um, we'll see what happens. And we'll keep our eye on the, uh, the changing of the guard in terms of teams uh, what's happening in the near future but i think that's pretty much it for this episode of footlock thank you so much for staying all the way to the end um please let us know what you think of the show both the podcast and the uh, the video version here on youtube remember that if you're watching this on youtube it's a shortened version for the full extended conversation on all the topics that we've covered do a search in itunes or google or stitcher or wherever you like to get your podcasts for carfection for the love of cards you'll see a big orange logo and that is our audio podcast there's some stuff in there that you cannot get anywhere else and i can really recommend that you check it out and remember on facebook and on twitter we're carfection and carfection films on instagram and the new instagram tv which if you haven't downloaded the app Uh, I would give a go to. We're experimenting with vertical video on cars, which they don't lend themselves to particularly, but I'll I'll try anything once. Uh, Remember that you can follow Mr. Henry Catchpole at Henry Catchpole, and I'm at Drew Stern. But for now, that's all from us, and we'll see you next time. Cheerio.